welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. If you open your Bibles to Ephesians, we're going to go back to uh, this passage that we looked at last week from Ephesians. And you remember uh, last week, just to give you a, um, a recap of uh, what we talked about from verses 11 through 14, talking about our inheritance, our eternal inheritance with the Lord or in heaven with Christ. And we looked at the provision, the plan, and the promise of our inheritance, and that it is in Christ that we have this inheritance, this provision for us. And then also the plan by the Father. So it was something that uh, He has planned, purposed for us, and it was not a, a, a ad hoc kind of last minute plan, but before the foundation of the earth, uh, that um, He has planned these things for us. And then the, the last uh, thing that we saw there in verses of 13 and 14 is the promise and that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I want us to look a little more carefully at this last point here concerning the, uh, the Holy Spirit and specifically the, the believer's reception, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And we'll go back to verse 13, 14, and let's read together there, or I'll read for you. You can look uh, and also have it here on the screen for you in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And as we noted last time in this uh, passage, Paul's emphasis on the believer's reception of the of the Holy Spirit was to show the certainty of our inheritance. And he, and he used two metaphors there uh, in those verses to make the point. And the first was the seal, the fact that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this metaphor really speaks of this security that we have, this guarantee that um, it is the Spirit is given to us as a certainty of uh, God's work that he has begun in us and that he will complete in us. Uh, you know, in that day, if a seal was um, put on a document or, or something, and especially if it come from someone in authority like a king, you would, uh, you would at your life break that seal if it wasn't intended for you. And so the very God of heaven has sealed his commitment, so to speak, to us by giving spirit. And then also he uh, used the metaphor of a guarantee, or is our translation here, the guarantee of our inheritance. It's literally a, a, a down payment or a first payment that guarantees that God is going to fulfill his commitment to us. Well, this morning I want us to, to look at this a bit further and answer the question, and really have two, two questions this morning, but our, our time will mainly be spent with this first one here, is how and when do we receive the Holy Spirit? And as we see in our text, the answer is, is very simple. We, we receive the Holy Spirit upon hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus Christ. 
simple, right? We can we can all go home now. <laughs> it's 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 just that simple. But somebody will say, "Well, wait a minute. It's not quite that simple." And and indeed, the topic has become very confused in various ideas about the Holy Spirit and what He's doing today and how we should be responding to Him. Many churches, there's several several here in George that uh, come from a a Pentecostal or a charismatic background, and and they will teach that not all believers have the Holy Spirit and that we must seek and ask for Him. And it's often taught that the sign of receiving the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And this, this experience is viewed as the baptism in or by the Spirit. And then there's others, although they're not in this charismatic camp, you could say, who see a time gap between believing and receiving the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a, a space of time in between there. And, and then there's still others who uh, believe that you can lose the indwelling presence of the, of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they would point maybe to, um, to David and, and how he, after his sin, his confession of his sin, he, he, he prays that the Lord would not take the Spirit away from him. And so you have these different um, ideas or different understandings of the coming of the Spirit of God. And I want us to think about two major things that contribute to uh, the difference in understanding. First of all, is the view of the church and when it began. Now for us, it seems very simple and straightforward that the church began, uh, you know, you're talking about the church, the body of Christ, began on the day of Pentecost. It's recorded in Acts chapter. Um, believers in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, they, were, they, they will ultimately share with us in all things in our eternal abode with God in heaven. That's, there's no question about that. But God has made a distinction between believers under the Old Covenant and believers under the New Covenant make up the church. The New Covenant was ratified with the death of Christ and uh, beginning with those disciples on the day of Pentecost, they were placed or immersed, literally baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And and so God gave uh, these outward signs of this new thing to authenticate the genuineness of what was happening as being from God. Just show you that couple of verses there from that passage in Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. For those of you who don't know, the, the day of Pentecost was, a, it was one of their holy days. And so you had Jews from all over coming together to, um, to Jerusalem. And as they were, they were all come together from all these different places, it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages, literally, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so then we have the record of Peter who began speaking, brought a message to these Jews that were gathered together on the, the day of Pentecost. And he, 
he called upon them to repent and to believe in Christ, the one that, that uh, the nation had rejected, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, after preaching, calling upon them to repent, uh, these believers were baptized in water to give testimony to what they had believed, to the and, and to this spiritual baptism that they had received and this union with Christ by the Spirit. Uh, let me just show you that last part there where he, where, of his message. He's, and Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so this promise that he's referring to is the promise of the Spirit that had been made by Christ to the disciples and uh, leading up to this time. And he is saying that it's for you and everyone whom the Lord has brought to conviction concerning the Messiah. And so if you fail to see the church as beginning on the day of Pentecost, uh, then you will fail to see the difference between the ministry of the Holy Spirit under the Old Covenant and His ministry in the New Covenant. Uh, the Holy Spirit was certainly active in the Old Testament. That, that's for sure. But there's a profound difference between His relationship to the believer after uh, the day of Pentecost, after Acts 2. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the Spirit of God would obviously empower and enable, and he came to indwell certain individuals, but only certain people for certain tasks. And uh, thus you have the prayer of David in Psalm 51, his confession, the Holy Spirit would not be taken away from him as, as a result of his sin. This is the change that Jesus is talking about to his disciples. You remember in the upper room in, in John 14, that a couple of places there in that in that discourse with them, he, he promises them concerning this coming of the Holy Spirit. In verse 16 and 17, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the the distinction that he's making. These disciples knew of the ministry of the Spirit of God. They had seen the working of the Spirit of God. and They had experienced it themselves. God had given them the Holy Spirit for their various ministries and tasks that he had for them. But now he's saying that the Spirit of God is going to come and dwell in them. He's going to make a permanent abode in them. Just before his ascension in Acts Chapter 1 in verse 3 and 5, 3 to 5, we read there that he, he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering, or after his death, by many proofs, appearing to them during uh, 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. There again, this promise he's talking about is the is what he had told his disciples concerning the Holy Spirit's coming. He says, which, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Just another ten days of the day of Pentecost. Some people will look at this statement and they will, and they will say, see there's an example of believers, they're these disciples, they're, they're believers and they haven't yet received the Spirit of God. And, and so what, is, what they've failed to see is that the reason that these believers have not yet been baptized with the Spirit is because the dispensation or the administration of God's plan for the church has not yet started. It's getting ready. It's coming. It's just a few days. And that's what Christ has been talking, talking about. He's been talking about this coming of the Spirit. This, he calls here the baptism of the Spirit. Uh, they're going to be immersed in the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God is coming, would be permanently indwelled believers. And this, and this coming of the Spirit marked the beginning of the church. A second related uh, reason for the, these different uh, views related to the Spirit is that the transitional nature of the book of Acts and this beginning of the church and the, the events that happened uh, related to that transitional time that moving from the, the old covenant and under the law to um, this new dispensation, this new economy of God under the church, what we call the church age or the, or the, the ministry or the, uh, the ministry of the spirit as Paul called it in Second um, Corinthians um, chapter 3. You'll, you'll see um, Paul comparing the, the old covenant of the law as a ministry of death or administration of death because no one could keep the law. Although the law was good and holy and right, it created, it caused death. It brought people under condemnation. No one could keep it. And he, and he compares that to this new dispensation, this new ministry of the Spirit, he calls it. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because it a ministry of the Spirit. And it's not that the Spirit wasn't active in the old, the old covenant or the old dispensation. But now the Spirit has come in a new way, new power. And we have the, the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, as a minister of the gospel, is, is, is comparing the previous ministry, which had glory, but now so much more glorious is the ministry that we have. Because we can, we can bring the message of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit to people. And the Spirit of God brings, this, brings conviction and light and understanding to people's minds. That they can, can trust and believe in Christ. And so there's this transitional nature. Many of, the, many of the miraculous events that were taking place at the beginning of the church were given by God to authenticate this new message of the gospel and this new thing the church, with Jews and Gentiles as one body in Christ. We, we, don't, we don't understand the significance of that. Um, but if you were a Jew living in that time, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> that, that you're no longer somehow favored above um, the Gentiles. You've had all this heritage. You've had all these promises, these covenants, so much privilege. And now the message is we are all one in Christ. And the Spirit of God has come to 
baptize us, to immerse us together into this uh, body, this one body of Christ. A failure to see this the transitional nature of the book of Acts, which records this, uh, this, this first, um, especially the first part of, of, the, of the book of Acts, which re- records the beginnings of the church. And the Acts, we call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's, you really think of it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that's doing the work in and through the apostles. Uh, but if you fail to see that this transitional nature of, of, of this time period, it, it leads to a false expectation that the same things that were happening in the book of Acts should be happening today. Um, in that time, people were being healed. They were being raised from the dead. Thousands were being saved. Uh, they were speaking in tongues. There was prophecy given, new revelation from God. Uh, many of the things that we see happening uh, right at this very beginning of the establishment of the church were, were temporary. And, and even in the, the lifetime of the apostles, we're, we're coming to an end. Um, and as we read in Paul's letters, it, it doesn't even seem like it could be in the same ministry. Whereas when Peter and these apostles began, even people that touched them or come in their shadow were being healed. People were being raised from the dead. Uh, just miraculous things happening left and right. But then later you see Paul writing, talking about his friend's ministry who... Almost died because of, of sickness and prayer for him, and and how things that are happening more in a natural way, you could so to speak, as far as these miraculous events of people and ministries. Obviously, the Spirit of God is still working in miraculous ways to bring people to salvation. But even in even in Paul's lifetime, you see this change coming about. So there's a transition taking place. And these, these uh, signs were uh, given for this specific purpose. Uh, you see it the day of Pentecost. These outward signs were given to uh, authenticate this transition and this new thing that's, um, uh, that God has given uh, with the coming of the Spirit. Uh, notice um, there in Acts chapter 2, I read about some of the things that accompanied the coming of the Spirit, the sound this rushing mighty wind and the in the visual uh, sign of the of the, the looked like divided tongues and, and the ability to to speak in so that people from all these different languages could understand them in their own language. These Jews from the different all these different regions were able to hear in their own language, and so there was obviously a very miraculous thing taking place. And Paul. Uh, sorry, Peter would later recount to the Jews why he would um, baptize Gentiles and, and basically inviting them into this new body, the, the church. And he, he talks about that in Acts chapter 11. You remember Cornelius and uh, these Gentiles. And God worked in Peter's heart to convince him that there was no longer a distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. He, and so he's, he's here in, in chapter 11 explaining this to his brethren back in Jerusalem and giving an account for what he's done. And he says, as I began to speak 
the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. He's talking about the beginning of the church, Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Spirit. So he's saying the same thing happened to them as happened to us. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have there for you from verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so God had given these Jews a sign so that they can see that this message message of the gospel, the message of the church, that we're all one in Christ, is genuinely from God. And the signs accompanying this message was uh, for that purpose. You remember, Peter, even after all the miraculous things that God did to convince him that uh, to go to Cornelius and to, uh, to accept him as a, as a brother in Christ, Peter still struggled with this. And you remember uh, in Galatians chapter 2, that later Paul would have to rebuke Peter because Peter, when he was there with the, with the Gentiles and Jews came from Jerusalem, Peter withdrew himself from the Gentiles when they were eating together. And, and so he's still struggling with this uh, coming out of the law, the, the obedience to the, the, the ceremonial separation and, and everything and so he's he's struggling with that and so God is is making this coming of the spirit the, the birth of the of the body of Christ he's, he's making this certain in the minds of the people that this is from God and it is supported by these miraculous uh, events related to the coming of the spirit Paul would later <clears throat> write to the church at Corinth in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, talking about our physical body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, about the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If you didn't have any other verses about this matter, that should be sufficient. And he's, he's not writing just to believers who are particularly dedicated and faithful. Some, some have the idea that only people who are, are really deep in their spiritual life and are really seeking God can, can receive this uh, baptism of the Spirit or this, this receive the Spirit of God. But here, Peter... Uh, Paul is writing and he's talking to a church that's um, really struggled with, with their obedience and their divisions and their immorality and all these problems. And it is, he's writing to them and, and reminding them that uh, in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. He's not making a distinction, but the point is if some were baptized and others weren't, the, the point would be lost. But the point he's making that we are all, no matter what our background is, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. We're, we're all one. There's no place for division. There's no place for one person thinking they're better than the other or closer to God because of who they are. We are all in 
Christ, and we're all baptized into this body by one Holy Spirit. Every person who comes to faith in Christ receives the Holy Spirit. Uh, and He comes to permanently dwell with them. Today, the, normally, uh, God can do whatever He wants to do, but normally when the Spirit of God comes to, to, in, to indwell us, we put our faith and trust in Christ. There's no audible sound we hear. We don't normally see any signs or anything miraculous on the outside that we can see, but there's something miraculous happened inside, isn't there? When a person genuinely trusts Christ as Savior, there's a miracle that takes place. He's born again, born anew. And the Spirit of God comes and dwells in that believer. And the, and the reason that we don't have all these miraculous things happening visually and audibly is because the purpose for that is past. The purpose was for this transition, this beginning of this new message of the gospel and of the church that's established has come and gone. And, and it's not to say that God is still obviously working miracles and He can do anything that He determines to do. Uh, but because it happened in the first century, the beginning of the church, doesn't necessarily mean it should be happening the same way today. And that's what many uh, believe and try to reproduce. And in many cases, I would say most cases, it's obvious it is a, it is a man's effort to reproduce what only the Spirit of God can do. Um, Romans 8, verse 9, Paul records there, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong. So he's saying very clearly there that... If you are a believer, if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of God also. Uh, obviously, uh, we don't always demonstrate Christ's likeness. We don't always obey. It is possible for a believer to backslide and to uh, disobey God in, in for a period of time, maybe even act like an unbeliever. But if that person is genuinely saved, the Spirit of God dwells in them. And that's why... Paul would also say, grieve not the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And so he's talking about the possibility, the fact that we're sealed unto the day of redemption. He's talking about when time when the redemption is complete and we're in heaven, we're sealed unto that day. And he says, don't grieve Him. Don't grieve Him by, by sinning and disobeying and turning from uh, obedience to the Lord. Speaking in tongues or, or some other outward sign is not the evidence of the Spirit. But there is, there is an evidence for us today of the Spirit in the believer. And that evidence is the fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit produces. And He begins to produce that at the moment of our conversion. The moment of our salvation. When we put our faith in Christ, we're we're born again, and the Spirit of God begins this work of His in our lives to produce, really, His, his own likeness, the likeness of Christ. Uh, you know Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And so he's listed some things there that are uh, the outworkings of this inner change, the 
has taken place and the Spirit of God is producing in the life of the believer. Now, now fruit doesn't just grow overnight, not in nature or in spiritual fruit in the life of the believer. It's not, a, it's not an overnight transformation that takes place uh, in our conduct and in our behavior and our thinking. It takes time for, to produce the love of God in our hearts. It's like self-sacrificial giving. It, t- it takes time to produce joy and peace and patience and kindness. All of these attributes that God wants to produce in our life. And it also requires that the believer respond to God in obedience, doesn't it? The Spirit of God is, is working in our lives, but we must respond in faith and obedience for these fruit, this fruit, these attributes to be produced in our life. He begins the process of character transformation. And over time, you will see these qualities developing in the life of a genuine believer. We, we talk about progressive sanctification. That's the progressive, it's ongoing. It's an ongoing sanctifying process that is taking place. And then true evidence of the Holy Spirit is a changed life. Uh, the Lord is changing us from a, a character that seeks live for self and the passions of the world to one that lives for God to please Him. It's not obviously not that, that we we reach a point where we can we can say I perfectly do that, but we we have this desire. It comes from within. It comes from the Spirit of God. This desire to please God. This desire to live for Him. This desire to know His Word. The desire to to have fellowship with other believers. The desire to 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 be in worship together. That that comes from the Lord. We also note in Acts chapter one verse eight. This is just before the coming of the Spirit. And the, and the Lord is there also saying to His disciples, You will receive power when the Spirit comes. And you will be My witnesses, remember. And so there was, and we see that happening. This God enabling these disciples in a miraculous way and giving them power, giving them boldness that they didn't have before. Before, they're hiding. They're afraid. Afterwards, they're different people in regards to their boldness and their, their ability that God has enabled them with. And though God, obviously, each, each of us are different. We have different personalities, and God works in each of us in different ways. We're in a different time and a different place, but God is the same. And God is still empowering us to serve Him, to obey Him, to be witnesses. And so it is certainly a part of this fruit that the Spirit of God produces in us when we obey Him, He enables us. He empowers us. He, he, he helps us. And so it's a, it's a great blessing that we have in our lives today as we seek to, to live for God. We're not left to our own strength. God is, God is with us. He's helping us. If you look at the, the record of the letters to the churches, we're never admonished to receive the Holy Spirit. We're never told to be baptized in the Spirit or to be sealed by the Spirit or to be indwelt by the Spirit. These are all works of God in the life of the believer at the time of their conversion. They put their faith in Christ. But we are commanded to be filled or controlled by the Spirit. And we'll get to that in just a few chapters. Ephesians chapter 5, we see that command. And many other places, this 
admonition to yield, to walk with the Spirit, and to, to, to um, in a sense, cooperate with Him and what He's accomplishing in our life. Well, I want to really, in closing, answer this second question. What is the practical difference, or what, what practical difference does it make in our life for us to have the Spirit of God? Well, it, it ought to create in us a sense of security. We have the security of knowing that we belong to Christ forever. Uh, and as we, we've seen in this verse 13 and 14, God has not only promised us eternity with Him, He sealed it with His commitment by the very person of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that should give us great confidence. I mean, if, if we just had the promise, that should be enough. God's Word is enough. But, but beyond that, he's, he's, come, he's given us the Spirit of God, the person of the Spirit of God to come and dwell in us. And that indwelling of the Spirit testifies to the reality of what God has done and is doing in us. The Spirit of God is with us in, in a similar way that Christ was with His disciples. And that's what Christ t- told His disciples in the passage we read, that He'll give another helper. Another of the same kind. He, he is God. They are God. And the Spirit of, of God has come to dwell in us. And He is teaching us. He is leading us. Admonishing us. He's, he's convicting us of sin. And He is with us in joy and in sorrow. He intercedes for us through the Father, even when we don't know how to pray or what we sh- should pray for. He is our helper, our comforter. Empowers us, enables us to live for Him. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? He is, is He at work in your life? In Romans, Romans 8, verse 16 and 17, we read, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There is this inner testimony that it's be difficult to explain to someone, especially an unbeliever. You, you try to explain how the Holy Spirit of God testifies to your spirit that you are a believer, belong to God. But as a believer, you can understand that testimony, that inner witness from God. And he says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, if there's no evidence of the Spirit of God in your life, then there's ever reason to believe or to, to question that you are a genuine believer. Because the presence of the Spirit of God not only witnesses to, to us inwardly, it witnesses to others outwardly through, through the changes that's taken place in our life that He produces. But don't be, be misled to believe that if you're a believer, then everything will go your way. Uh, and and you will not experience suffering. As we see in the last part there in verse 17, to be heir with Christ means that we suffer with Him now. And then one day we will experience the glory with Him in eternity. And all of this is to the praise of His glory. Amen. Father, we do rejoice in who You are and Your plan for us. We rejoice, Father, in the Spirit of God that is given to us. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we are reminded from your word of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. Lord, may we be mindful of him as we enter into this week. 
may we be sensitive to things we say, things we do, to not grieve him, but that we would yield our lives, yield our thoughts, yield every part of our life to him, that he may fill us with his presence in the sense that he controls us, he guides us, he, he leads us. And so, Father, that we pray that you might be honored by our lives, that you would get glory from our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you've graced us with so many blessings and that we can know you and we can be confident of what you've planned for us. Even in the midst of trouble and trial that we face here on earth, we can have the steadfast confidence, this hope that is in Christ. And we rejoice in that. In Christ's name, amen.